It's good to see you guys today. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad y'all are here today. And I'm extremely glad for the passage from Scripture that we get to read together today. Uh, the Lord has spoken to us. And so we get to listen and we get to believe and we get to obey. So it's a, it's a good day to be gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our passage for the sermon today is Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. Uh, I'm reading out of the pew Bible that's right there in the pew in front of you. So if you didn't bring your own Bible, you can open up that pew Bible to page 868, and you'll be in the same page I'm on, and you'll be in the same translation, page 868, Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse We'll probably start in verse 44 is where we'll start. The little title there is the parables of the hidden treasure and of the priceless pearl. I have two questions for you today. First of all, when it comes to salvation, what will it cost us? And second, what must we do to be saved? What will it cost us? And what do we have to do in order to be saved? These are the two questions that all of us need to ask. Having believed for a long time, or not yet believing, but thinking perhaps this is true, that there really is a God who cares about us and has good plan for us and loves us dearly. If it's true, what do we need to do? And how much will it cost to be a part of Christ's kingdom and his family? The first question comes clearly in Scripture in Acts chapter 2. Christ died on the cross. He rose again. He met with his disciples. Hundreds of people saw him. He ate with them. And then he ascended into heaven. And before he went into heaven, he said, When I go, the Holy Spirit is going to come down on you. So God will be with you always, all the time, every person who believes, until I return again. Jesus ascended into heaven, and then not long after that, while the disciples are worshiping the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes down on them powerfully, looking visibly like fire that comes down on them, and they all start preaching publicly that day. They go out and they preach, and the crowds are all there, and something miraculous happens. Everyone, no matter where they're from, and the crowds that day are from everywhere, they all hear Peter preaching in their own language. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, a testimony that the power of God is with this preacher and with this preaching. And the sermon that Peter proclaims to them that they all hear in every kind of language, the sermon Peter preaches to them is, this is all happening as it was proclaimed in the Old Testament, that there was going to be a day when the Holy Spirit didn't just come on this prophet and that prophet, but a day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on everyone who believed in Christ. They all started having dreams, and they would all start having visions, and they would all speak by the Spirit. And what's more, Peter says, Jesus, that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Messiah, And though he was crucified, though you cheered crucified and had these wicked people crucify him, death could not hold him. And so he raised from the grave on the third day. He has ascended into heaven. He is God and Lord, and he is the one who has poured out the Holy Spirit on all who believe. But you have done this great evil. And the crowds, they hear 
and they believe. They realize, oh no, we've made a huge mistake. All the crowds, all these people realize we were the ones there yelling, crucify him. And they ask the one question they can ask, which is, what what can we do? They ask, "What, what should we do? They know they're wrong. They know Jesus is right. They know they've done wrong. And they say, what must we do? And what is the answer? That's what we're going to find out today. Stick around till the end. Our Bible passage today, though, is not Acts chapter 2. Our Bible passage today is Matthew 13, where Jesus is preaching to help answer a very important related question. What will it cost? And by the end of the sermon today, you will know the answer to both. What will it cost and what must we do? Let's pray together and then we're going to read Matthew 13. Father God, I pray that the reading of your word and the hearing of your word would be worship to you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13, Jesus says in verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and then he reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has in order to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who is in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and he sold everything that he had and he bought it, the one priceless pearl. This is the word of the Lord. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus answers beforehand, what will the cost be? The cost is this, when you discover how valuable it is, what Christ is offering, when you discover how much joy there is in being a part of Christ's kingdom, nothing else matters to the degree that anything that it will cost to follow him must be paid immediately. And there's always a cost. There's always something that we must give up to follow Christ. Let me tell you about the Rasuli family. Uh, they were Muslims in Afghanistan, uh, like most people. Uh, they just lived in a small village. That's where they were born. A husband and wife who grew up and then were married, had some children. And then at one point in 2008, they were watching some satellite TV. And it turns out there's very, very, very few Christians in Afghanistan. But there's quite a few Christians in Iran next door, and they all speak Farsi, the same language. So they're watching satellite TV, and they're watching this Christian worship service and this Christian preacher preaching in their own language in Farsi, and they hear the gospel, and they believe. For them, they hear the gospel about Jesus Christ, how the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit has loved them and Christ came down to pay for their sins and that they could be right with God simply by believing Him and following after Him. What they found that day was this treasure, like a treasure in a field. And they knew it might cost them something, but it didn't even matter. They found that treasure and they were willing to do anything to follow after Christ. So this family knowing no Christians, having no one around them to help them follow Christ, call up that church a country away in Iran 
And they say, hey, listen, we believe. We're, we're Christians now. We need somebody to come and baptize us. And so the church sent somebody across the border into Afghanistan in order to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so they could publicly witness that they believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And they believe that even if they die, they will rise again. That they can witness in baptism that they believe Christ's death on the cross was good enough to wash them clean of all their sins. This they did because they came to believe in Christ. But they knew from the very beginning that it was going to cost them something, being the only Christians that they knew in their small, close-knit community in Afghanistan. This is 2008. And they knew all the more that since their driver's license, their IDs in Afghanistan, you have to declare their religion... They knew it might be a problem at some point if their religion said Christian and not Muslim. But they knew the Lord that they loved, and they wouldn't be ashamed of it no matter what the cost. So their license said Christian. Not long afterwards, their teenage children put their faith in Christ as well and were saved. I had lunch this week with Ben Rasuli, one of these teenage sons who is now here in Aiken, uh, not just here in America, but who lives here. We had lunch this week and we talked about it, how God called his parents and then how God called him and he was baptized and how he was working at a church in the Emirates, in the United Arab Emirates as an intern because he knew that God had called him to be a pastor and to go be a Farsi speaking pastor so that more people could hear uh, from his home country or at least in Iran if he couldn't go back to Afghanistan. So he's working there and he met a nice American girl and they got married and now live here for now. And we talked about how he worked as hard as he could through terrifying circumstances to get his family out of Afghanistan. He's been here for about a year now. And on the last few months, his parents needed to get out and they were able to get out. They were able to make it to Qatar and then soon enough, they'll be brought to Oklahoma uh, where they'll get to be here and either reside there or come on out here with the rest of the family. These are people we might get to meet someday. Uh, ben and his wife are Presbyterians and members of another local church, and God bless them, uh, this good Christian family. Uh, as I talk to Ben and as I tell you the story now about costs, um, perhaps, um, I don't have anything prepared today, but perhaps in the next Sunday or two, uh, we'll take up a love offering that he can share with his parents when they do touch down in Oklahoma, because they'll come with nothing. And uh, perhaps we can help provide something, at least, uh, of the love of Christ for some brothers and sisters in Christ as they come. I'll also avoid making a joke uh, along the lines of, Oklahoma? Is that any better? Uh, because I think that would be inappropriate to make that joke, so I won't make that joke for you. As a proud Texan, it's hard to avoid digging on Oklahoma, but here we are, me avoiding it. There we go. I'm not going to share that one. They knew that it was going to cost them something, and it could have cost them quite a bit. They wouldn't have been the first Christians to lose their life over their faith, and yet it would have been worth it. There is always a cost to following Christ, and there will be a cost for you too. There will be a time when your decision that Jesus is Lord will cost you something, and you're going to have to decide, even begin before you begin to follow him, if you are willing to pay whatever that price is when it comes. For you, I hope in your life it will never be violence that comes to you because of your faith in Christ. But perhaps far more common for people who live in Aiken County, for people like us. If you put your trust in Christ and start to follow Him, certain friendships and family relationships will start to grow cold because of it. 
They liked who you were, but now that you're living a new life in Christ, it has little to do with their life and they're not quite as interested. If this is the cost, it's a sad cost to have to pay, but I tell you, following Christ is worth it. And perhaps, perhaps they will come to know the Lord through your witness as well. Perhaps there will be some difficulties in your life that will spring up to try to keep you from gathering to worship Jesus with the other Christians. This happens to all of us. You think it's just you uh, that gets into a family bout or a struggle on Sunday mornings, but for some reason or another, it's quite frequent for all of us that there's a row, that there's trouble, that cars don't work, that there's always some reason to us to not gather together and worship the Lord. But whatever the cost is, pay it. Whatever requires, whatever must be done in order to gather together with the congregation and worship the Lord and come to know Him better, it's worth it. Pay the cost. Perhaps for us, the cost being that uh, we are Americans who are committed to the idea of American individualism, and we should be. It's a good ideal. And yet, we might think that the thing that we're not willing to give up Christ to follow Christ. The thing we're not willing to give up is our freedom to say whatever we want to, whenever we want to. I've got my freedom of speech, and I can say what I want when I want to. But to follow Christ, our question is no longer about what can I get away with or what am I allowed to do. The question is, what is good and right and beneficial to say? This is our new standard. Perhaps it will cost us some of our individualism. The hot thing in America today is to be able to identify yourself however you want to identify yourself to whatever links there are, no matter if it's against reality entirely. You just need to be able to be free to identify yourself however you want to. We give up any perceived right to identify ourselves and we rather say, Jesus, who do you say that I am? And that's who I will be. Who have you made me to be? And what's more, who are you remaking me into? That's who I will be. Forget about what cool person I thought I could identify as or what I thought would bring liberty and happiness to me. Rather, Jesus, tell me who you want me to be and that's who I will be. There will be a cost of one kind or another. But I tell you, when you know Jesus Christ, when you find this pearl of great price, when you find this treasure, then you're able to have an attitude like the Apostle Paul who said, I consider everything else a waste compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. None of the rest of it really even matters because I know Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Whatever the cost is, it is always worth it. Second, today, no matter what it costs you to be a part of this, you should pay that price. Let's go back to our first question. Okay, what will it cost you? Doesn't matter. It's worth it. That's the answer. What will it cost you? Depends, but it doesn't matter. It's always worth it to follow Christ. It will always be different for all of us, but what will it cost you? It doesn't matter at all to me what it costs at the end of the day. It will have been worth it because of the joy the eternal life, the forgiveness that I have found in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Second question. What must we do to be saved? What do we actually need to do in order to be saved? Peter gets up. 
The Holy Spirit has come down on him in Acts chapter 2, and he begins preaching, and it's miraculous, and everyone hears, and they believe, and they say, what must we do? And what's the answer? It depends on who you ask. If you were to look up Acts chapter 2, you would see that it says very clearly, repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's the answer. What must I do to be a part of Christ's kingdom? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. But there was a Bible translation at one time that didn't say that at all. This Bible translation was awfully consequential. You see, the Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek. It was the language of the time. But there came a point where lots and lots of Christians lived on the west side of the Roman Greek or could speak Greek. They only knew Latin anymore. And so they needed a Bible translated into their own language, into Latin. And them in the fourth century, by the end of the fourth century, Jerome translated the Bible into Latin, the Vulgate, it's called. That is because it was written in the vulgar language, the common language, that is. Not vulgar like obscenity, just common language. It was written in the common language of the people, which at the time was Latin. But Jerome made an error in his translation. The Bible, the perfect word of God, no trouble there, but when he translated into Latin, he mistranslated one word. In his translation in Latin, Peter stands up before the crowd and they say, what must we do? And Peter says, in Latin, do penance and be baptized. It seems like a subtle change. After all, what is the difference between repent and be baptized or do penance and be baptized? Awfully subtle, awfully small, but the change is this, repentance to turn away from your sin and to go live a new life in Christ. Penance is something that you try to do to make up for the wrongs you've done. So according to Jerome's translation, what you're supposed to do in order to be right with God is go live a life trying to do right things to make up for all the wrong things that you've done. That you're to calculate in your mind what sin you've done and then go find a priest or someone who can tell you what sorts of things you have to do in penance to make up for the wrongs that you've done by trying to do something right. And in the years to come, that spawns all kinds of movements of people in their lives trying to live a life of penance against their sins. Because as it was translated in their language, what do you do to get right with God and be in his kingdom? You have to do penance. It wasn't until 1444, about a thousand years later. Of course, there were plenty of people in this thousand years who believed and wanted to obey Christ and knew the Lord. We're not to assume that disappeared. It wasn't until 1444 when, because of issues going on, In the old Greek empire, all those Greek editions of the Bible make their way to the West and people in Rome start to translate them into English. And Lorenzo Valla, he's reading through it in Greek and and he's looking over here at Jerome's translation. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. The word is repent. And so Valla publishes his Greek edition of the New Testament. Erasmus publishes his and it makes its way into the hands of Martin Luther 
and a bunch of other reformers who now come to the question for the first time in a long time, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is not do penance. It's repent and be baptized. And this changes everything. There is no penance we can do. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God. You have sinned. And you can't make it better. But I've got great news for you today. Christ has already done on the cross everything you need in order to be made right before God. There was nothing lacking in His perfect death. His resurrection demonstrates for us that His death on the cross was good enough to satisfy the requirements of God. You can't do penance even if you tried. All there is for you to do is believe as is demonstrated in baptism. That is to say, you're supposed to believe and repent, but the belief is a kind of belief that becomes real action. Your belief, if it's something you think about in your mind but doesn't become action, it's not real belief. So he says, repent and be baptized. Baptism, the public declaration of the inner belief and faith that has saved you. So what must you do to be saved? It has already been done for you. That's the treasure. That's the pearl. And so what can you do? If you need to become a Christian today, if you want to put your trust in Christ, what do you need to do? The answer is the same. It's time to turn away from your old life. Repent. Now you're going to follow Christ and obey Him only. And come and be baptized so you can publicly demonstrate that I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and He is alive. What must we do? Repent and be baptized, declaring our faith. What will it cost us? It will cost you something. But it will be worth it. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. Some people, they think about Christian faith as, as if it's something that you do one time and then you're done with it. Yes, you know what? I'm interested in that. I believe, you know what? I'll be baptized. But then they don't actually spend any time repenting or changing their lives. The faith that they say that they have, that they're at least willing to demonstrate in the baptistry, doesn't translate into a lived life. It is a Christian faith like a person who goes and travels on vacation to visit certain monuments for no other reason than to take a picture with that monument and then move on. It's like the purpose of our faith was to take a quick picture with Christ and move on. It's like you go to the Washington Monument and then all you really wanted to do in your long trip was this. (laughs) And then you say, we're done here. I didn't look at it. I saw it in the back of the camera screen behind me. Come on, let's go to the Vietnam Memorial now so I can do one of these with it in the background. Christianity, sure, I believe. Let me get in front of like the, we have a beautiful handmade cross for this series that's out in the lobby now to go and let me just take a picture with it real quick. And that's the extent of my faith. This is not a faith that will save you. Rather, the faith that will save you is believing and making a decision to turn from your old life and follow Jesus Christ with the rest of your life. You must so value Christ and his kingdom that you commit to that and nothing else will be of more importance to you in your life. 
Some people go to crazy great lengths in order to collect certain things, in order to build up a treasure. Some people, the treasure, the pearl that they find in their life, the lengths that they will go to complete their collection, it's wild. It reminds you of the old stereotypical image of a dragon sitting on his pile of wealth. I've got this, I'm keeping it no matter what. Some people, what are the sorts of things that people get obsessed about? What are the sorts of things people get obsessed about? Some people follow around bands and go from concert venue to concert venue in their camper to see all of it, and that's their life. They found something they like, and they're all in on it. What are some other things that people get obsessed about? Oh! I have my football socks on today, so I'm in for this. I was... uh, I discovered yesterday, speaking of, I think this is a fun illustration, I discovered yesterday the website shopgoodwill.com. And it turns out, for all the Goodwill stores, they take the best stuff and they post it as an auction on their website, shopgoodwill.com, So, uh, which is sponsoring this uh, portion of the message, apparently. Uh, so I go on and I'm like, you know what I really want is a good motorcycle jacket. And here's some for like 10 bucks that are all over the place. And I'm uh, spending silly little pieces of money on dumb things that probably not going to fit. Uh, but it was really silly and fun. But I'm looking at this goodwill, uh, all of the things, and some of the interesting things on there that Zoe and I were looking at were just madness. We found several lots of just 20 pounds of costume jewelry. Like somebody, somebody really wanted a pile of costume jewelry to make this collection happen. I found one lot that was 30 pounds of baseball cards from the 80s. I know, I know. Somebody really went to a lot of lengths to collect all of that. Somebody got obsessed about these things and spent so much time and energy pursuing them. Let me tell you, to be a Christian means, it doesn't mean you give up on your collection of this or that. It does mean that following Christ, for us Christians, becomes the obsession to us. That we won't let anything else take a claim on our life or on our hearts or on our time than pursuing Jesus Christ as Lord because nothing else is more valuable. Is it the case in your life that something else you desire, some other obsession has taken hold of your heart and drawn you away from pursuing Christ to pursue it? Is it success? Is it a collection? Is it a relationship? Is it marriage? Are you willing to do anything it takes to get those things? If some other obsession has drawn you away from the Lord, then today is your day to hear the word of the Lord and repent and say, I'm sorry, Father. I'm going to turn away from that and pursue you exclusively. What would it look like, after all, for us to pursue Christ and his kingdom wholeheartedly like this? Let us each look in our own lives for little ways in which we can obey him better. Let us each look in our life for different areas of our life that we can change to follow him. What is some small thing that you can change in order to say this time of day, that's also for you, Christ. This place in my life, that is also for you, Christ. It's true that there are plenty of people, there's a phenomenon that happens where you have children and you realize we've got to raise these kids right. We're responsible for these kids so a lot of parents when they have children go, you know, we got to go to church. We got to get these kids in church. 
But there's an equal phenomena that happens sometimes where after the kids are grown, people find reasons to not be here anymore. Stuff just comes up in life. Things distract and keep us from worshiping the Lord together. This small thing or that small thing and worshiping him, gathering with the congregation to declare our faith and sing praises to God dies the death of a thousand cuts. But let it not be true for us. Just a small example, one way that we've come up with, and I don't know that it's working, but I just want to share with you one that we're trying. Um, As we read through the Who's Your One books, uh, if you're joining us today, what we've been doing for the last two weeks as a church is committing to pray for one person for a month who's not a believer. We are believers committing to pray for one person every day, just a few minutes a day, that they would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And there's this devotion book, and it's out there in the lobby tables. Whoever you are, you can take one with you today. And it just gives you, this is as easy as it gets. It just gives you every day a Bible verse and then a little short prayer where you can fill in that person's name. And you can just pray for them every day for a month that God would bring about salvation for them. Because if you're a believer, we all know people who don't know the Lord and we want them to. And the simplest, smallest little thing we can do is just committing to praying for them for a month. Take one of these with you, write somebody's name in it, and get up and pray for them every day for a month. And see if the Lord doesn't change your heart and theirs and convict you to reach out to them and draw them along with you so that you can point out to them the treasure that you have found in Jesus Christ. The one simple way we've found to try and pursue Christ just a little bit better, and again, I'm not sure it's working, is uh, is now Zoe and Sam and Isaac and I, I, I do car line in the morning, and so I'm taking them to elementary school, and we go to get in car line, and uh, none of us are quite awake yet, especially me, and so I've got to have my coffee with me, uh, but, but they all have their person that they're praying for, and I have mine, so we have our books in the minivan, and we keep them there, so that while we're sitting in car line, we can read a passage from the Bible together, and then we can give our car line time to praying for other people who are lost, and I say it might not work yet, because we've got a lot of distractions going on in the car, I don't know if this is a big official exercise yet or not but I hope it is any little thing that we can do what little things in your life can you change to pursue Christ better to help other people to pursue him better let us be like the people who are so wholeheartedly committed to some hobby or some interest but let us be like that in our love for following and knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this finally The pearl of great price, this treasure in a field, it has an application, as we've talked about, for evangelism, for sharing with other people. Don't let anything stop you from letting somebody you care about know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Just like there's no cost too great for us following Christ, let there be no cost too great for us helping somebody else to hear about and know Christ. Now, this doesn't mean in a silly way, you know, do whatever it takes uh, to get them saved because not everything is effective for salvation. I used to joke with teenagers back when I was a youth pastor that, you know, there's a kid who came to Christ but or was thinking about coming to Christ, and I was like, here's what we'll do, you guys. We're going to have a pool party, and we'll just push him in the pool, and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we got him. He's in. We did it. Barring that, drinking out of the water fountain, just push the face into it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're good. We did it. Another one in. That's not to say do whatever it takes because not everything is effective. But what sorts of things could you do in order to help somebody trust Christ? What sort of things are actually effective for helping someone come to faith? Prayer. 
is effective. Hearing the word. A simple invitation. Do you want to come with me to Sunday school class? Do you want to come with me to church? Do you want to come read the Bible with me? Hey, I'm praying this for you. You want to hear what I'm praying for you each day? Let's sit down together, you and I, and pray for this together. A changed life is a good argument. The kind of joy and kindness that comes out of us when we believe in Christ. These sorts of things are effective for others coming to believe. Don't let anything stop you from helping them to know the Lord. What I want to do today in closing is this. Let's do that first one together, prayer. Who do you know that doesn't know the Lord? I'm going to take a moment silently and we're all just going to bow our heads and use, take just a second to pray that God would change their hearts and open their eyes to the treasure that is following Christ. I'll, I'll be even more bold for you today. If it's you and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, You hear, you listen, but you don't believe? Try this one out today. Simply pray to him and say, Father, help me believe. I'd like to, but help me. If if you're true, if this is all true, then help me to believe it. This is the sort of prayer that God will answer for you. Finally, if perhaps you are here today and a believer that you don't know somebody specific in your life, you don't have somebody around you. You're, you're, the gears are spinning. You're trying to come up with somebody who you could perhaps share the gospel with. Here's a prayer that God will answer. Pray to him today and say, Father, bring someone to my attention. Put somebody into my life this week. Bring somebody by. Open my eyes to the need of somebody. And then help me to be faithful to them. And finally, let's pray for strength and commitment. Let's just bow our heads together and then silently on down the list. First of all, just silently where you are, pray for salvation for someone today. If you don't know somebody, pray that God would bring somebody to your attention. If you don't believe yet, pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. Finally, ask God for strength and commitment to follow no matter the cost. Father God, I pray that you would open my eyes to seeing people who need to know you. And that I wouldn't let anything stop me from helping them to come to trust you as Lord and Savior. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for the Wilson family. I pray that you would draw them to trust you. Father, I pray that you would give me the wisdom and the strength and the commitment to say something, even if it's just come and see. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.